And when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them, and scribes arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. And he asked them, What are you arguing about with them? And someone from the crowd answered them, Teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And when he, when, whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able to. And he answered them, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him. And when the spirit saw him, immediately convulsed the boy. And he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, How long has this been happening to him? And he said, From childhood. And it has often cast him into the fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, If you can, all things are possible for one who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw the crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out and the boy was like a corpse. So it came out and the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said, He's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. And when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, Why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, This kind cannot be driven out by anything, but by prayer. The word of the Lord. Thank you, Andrew. Let's, uh, let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we come to you. And we confess how greatly we need you. In the times of uncertainty, when our world is turned upside down, when we don't have the answers and the answers are, cannot be found, we, look our, we lift our eyes up to the hills for our strength comes from you, maker of heaven and earth. You will not let our foot be moved. But Father, we confess that so often we become complacent and lethargic and Father, in times of this, when we need Christ the most, the only sure hope that we have in life and death, when the government and our health and our paychecks and society is torn and turned asunder, Lord, we don't turn to Jesus. We turn to social media. We turn to self-help. We turn to uh, functional saviors, good ones, and evil, wicked ones. Father, we confess that you are our only hope in life and death. We confess that we are weak and you are strong. We confess that we need you every minute of every hour, of every day, of every year that we have lungs in our breath. We need you. Father, we need you this morning. And you have told us, and we thank you, that you have called us and said, cast your cares upon me, for I care for you. We praise you because you say that you're a God who works for your people. We honor you because you are wise and powerful. And that you are simply not a a source of information like a supercomputer, but you use your knowledge that you see, your omniscience, and you use it in wise, like a skilled surgeon. Father, you work in creation according to the purposes of your will. All things work together for good for those who trust you because you're wise and you're powerful. Father, on, in light of that, in light of those promises, we lift up desperately Ernie Johnston to you. Father, we thank you that you have spared his life. Father, he is battling uh, pain and infection. 
Lord, and I pray that you would calm his heart, strengthen his body's to, body to receive the medical care from the doctors and nurses that you have equipped to be able to work and deal and, and, and um, heal his body. Father, without your guiding touch, no matter, no amount of antibiotics and surgeries, and rest will be effective. Father, we pray for Ernie. Father, we also pray for Kim. Lord, she needs you in this hour when there is absolutely nothing that she can do. Lord, we thank you that she can be with Ernie. Hold his hand and pray. Lord, I pray that you would strengthen her heart. Give her courage to believe you and to trust you when... Uh, doubt overwhelms and rises up, may she cry out, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Father, we pray for those who have lost their jobs. We pray for Donna and Ginger and Virgil, Lord, that you would provide work for them. Give them favor with man that they may have a job soon, that they can do what they want to do, to work, to use the talents and abilities that you have given them, that they would work hard and rest in your provision. Father, we also pray for Mike King right now, who is battling um, a kidney issue. Lord, give him peace and comfort, and I pray that you would bless Teresa as she um, cares and loves her husband. Father, I pray that you would give Scott and I wisdom as elders of the church. How do we proceed with caution uh, as we seek to gather, Lord? We know that this medium of technology is a blessing, that it brings us together, but it is not the gathering of the church in Scripture. Lord, your spirit is with us at this moment, but we must be gathered together. Give us wisdom as we proceed with that. Father, I pray for those things that are not apparent. And Lord, I also pray right now for Bill Key. Lord, a charter member of our church for over 60, 70 years, Father, and I pray as he is battling um, uh, infection himself, Lord, that you would strengthen his body and his faith to trust you. I pray for Ginny as she cares for him and for so well. Lord, I pray that you would cause her heart to be strengthened and find solace in our good and faithful God. Father, we need you this hour as we open up your word that we may see Jesus. Lord, and I pray that we would um, foster and fight for faith and that we would resist unbelief and doubt, that we may see Jesus. In his precious and holy name we pray, amen. Amen, you may be seated. If you're not already there, turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 9. We're going to be looking at verses 14 through 29, the, the healing of Jesus. And just to set a little context, uh, we are at a turning point in the book. Uh, the middle hinge of the, of the book of Mark is the confession of Peter and the confession of the disciples. And as they go through, um, Peter says, you are the Christ. But though his words were correct and his belief is true, he does not have a proper understanding of who the Messiah is, who the Christ is, who King Jesus is. So Jesus explains that not only is he a triumphing God who will conquer his foes and establish his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven, but he is also a suffering king. And that blows the minds of Peter and the disciples. And Jesus leads Peter, James, and John's up to the Mount of Transfiguration and they see Jesus, the um, glory of Jesus emanating from, uh, the glory of God emanating from Peter, or from Jesus. Good night, a little heresy slipped in there. But they see the glory of Jesus. They see Moses and Elijah, the endorsement of Jesus. And then they hear the voice of God, the Father, saying, this is my son, listen to him. And overwhelmed by who Jesus is, realizing that they will forever 
be changed because they have seen the glory of Jesus. It changes how they think. It changes what they feel. It changes what they desire. It changes how they live. It changes how they speak. It changes how they invest their money and time. All of those because they have seen the glory of Jesus. Yet not all of life can be lived in the mountaintop and Jesus and, the, and Peter and the disciples come to the bottom. And they're about to learn a lesson that is very important. A lesson from the valleys. A lesson that will sustain us in the valleys. And this is this. It is this lesson. The mercy and grace, Christ's mercy and grace, sustains all who believe. Christ's mercy and grace sustains all. All who believe. And this is so important. Why? Because unbelief is dangerous. Unbelief is dangerous. And, be, and faith is necessary. Faith is necessary. And then ultimately, Christ is powerful. For those of you who missed the big idea, uh, Christ's mercy and grace sustains all who believe. Because unbelief is dangerous. Faith is necessary and Christ is powerful. We look at it as we begin, we see that um, in the unbelief of the crowds and the disciples. Life is not lived at the mountaintop. It's a journey that leads to the beauty and the glory and the majesty of mountain views. But it also leads us through the darkness of the valley. There will be days of ease and joy and victory, but there will also at the same time be days of frustration and sorrow, fear and defeat. Today was one of those days. Jesus and his three disciples, Peter, James, and John, have just left the mountain of transfiguration where the glory of God was revealed. Christ, for who he was in his divine glory, was uh, the humanity of Jesus was pe peeled back, and you could see the glory of Jesus, and they were in awe, they were terrified, and they didn't know what to do. They come now, they are coming down from the mountain Allah, Moses, when he had been with God. They go down the mountain and Jesus finds his other nine disciples. And he finds them squabbling with religious leaders. He finds them unable to satisfy the crowd's hunger for the magnificent, for the spectacular, for the big show. And then he finds a father who is powerless to help his son and disciples who are um, shown wanting because they don't have an answer for the demon that's in the son. Like so many times, as we see throughout the book of the Mark, Mark, the disciples face crisis when Jesus was not with them. When Jesus left or when they left Jesus, they fell apart because they needed Jesus so much. Because they were depending on their own strength, they fell on their face. And the narrative, as we come into Mark chapter 9, the narrative focuses on a one single struggle of a desperate father that taught us all of our struggle and all of our need for the grace of Jesus to sustain us in times of difficulty, in times of victory, in times of defeat. A man who, like any good parent, will do whatever and go wherever um, to be able to help his child. Mark tells us that as Jesus leaves this mountain of transfiguration, he receives word that, uh, um, excuse me, Mark tells us that the father, when Jesus' disciples come to his village, um, takes his boy and brings his boy to the disciples that they can alleviate his suffering, that they can help his son. Yet like so many times before, nothing works for the father. He cannot find the answers. And he tastes the bitter taste of defeat and the frustration of another dead end, another hope that's snuffed out because his son is still struggling. 
And the struggle that this son had was that he was possessed by an evil spirit, by a demon that's living in tormenting him. Notice verse 17, when Jesus inquires of the crowd, and summoned from the crowd, this father answered him, Teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams at the mouth, and he grinds his teeth, and he becomes rigid. Now, you might be thinking, if this is the first time you've ever read through this passage, you might be thinking immediately with 21st century minds that the plight of this boy is actually a condition that is consistent with a person that is struggling with epilepsy. And this is likely the case. But it was not just a simple as a he had epilepsy and the disciples and Jesus were confused. And they couldn't find a treatment to be able to treat him. There was a deeper, darker, more sinister problem that was oppressing this boy. It was demon possession. The father's um, desperate confusion paints a gut-wrenching picture of one of the many casualties of Satan's hate-filled assault and barrage on the image of God. For this demon that has possessed this young boy is isolating him and locking him in a world of silence. We see that this boy was not only deaf, but he was also mute. Living in a world where he could see, but he could not communicate. He was being controlled by this demon. This demon was utilizing his illness to seize him and distort him and harm his body. One fit at a time. And then later on in verse 22, as the father is explaining this to Jesus, not only was he being controlled by this demon, he was being destroyed by this demon. The demon would often throw him down into these fits, into water and into fire and attempt to kill him. Anybody watching in the crowd could see the burns and the scars were witnesses of a battered and broken life that was endured by this young boy in silence. I want to make a note here as we go on to address uh, this boy's condition. Epilepsy does not mean that a person is demon-possessed. This boy was suffering from an epileptic-like condition, but the problem is that this condition, his illness, like many illnesses in the human body, can and will be exploited and controlled by a demon. So this, if you are struggling with epilepsy, it does not mean that you are being, uh, you are demon-possessed. This boy was demon-possessed. This boy had epilepsy, epileptic-like condition, but his problem was that it was a demon that was working and controlling him. Second thing is that, uh, be able to understand, demon possession is, the goal of it is to maim and to destroy the image of God in creation. We see in Mark chapter 1 verse 23, there are respectable members of the synagogue who opposed Jesus. There was a demon in the synagogue and there was uh, Jesus is preaching and then all of a sudden this demon shouts out and challenges challenges Jesus. They had no idea of the possession of this demon that was happening in this respectable member of society until Jesus' presence was made known. And until Jesus preached the word and this demon came out and it convulsed and, and thrashed this man. Then in chapter 5 of Mark, there were the outcast legion who had a legions of demons that were living inside him. He lived in the out, outskirts of society and he cut and flailed his body and he moaned and the demons were destroying him. Then you see Mark chapter 9. You have an epileptic boy that is suffering in his father's house and the demon is, is uh, attacking him. Satan and his henchmen will use whatever means necessary to destroy the image of God in an attempt to triumph over God and his kingdom. 
But here in Mark, this boy is suffering immensely and his father desperately uh, wants help and will do whatever he possibly can do to find help. But sadly, the disciples were powerless to help him. Notice the end of verse 18. So I asked your disciples to cast it out and they were not able. The glory of the transfiguration quickly faded in the darkness of the valley below. The valley where Satan rages with blasphemy and hatred. The scribes and the crowds are hardened by unbelief and by pride. Where the image bearers of God suffer in a broken world that is maimed and twisted and contorted by sin and the powers of darkness. And where the disciples who have earlier in Mark already been commissioned with power over demons now find themselves powerless to do anything against the forces of darkness. And it was almost too much for Jesus to bear. Notice in verse 19, Jesus' response to this train wreck that is going on around him, this circus of sin and confusion and inability. Verse 19, of faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Jesus is overwhelmed by the unfaithfulness of his disciples and the unbelief of his crowd. Because he knew, he knew that a lack of faith would ultimately be the undoing and it grieved his heart. However, he knew that his time was short for the cross was coming And it could not be um, pushed aside. The cross was coming and there was much work to do in the hearts of his disciples. So Jesus calls for the boy at the end of verse 19. Bring him to me. The grace of Jesus was about to teach the disciples that without him they could do nothing. And they must resist unbelief or it would destroy them. Because unbelief is incredibly dangerous. Ocean Park, you and I, like at this time, are in the midst of a great spiritual war. The forces of darkness will do anything and use any means necessary to entice you to exchange the truth of God for a lie. They will manipulate your perceived needs and they will prey on what you fear. Just as Satan whispered into Eve's ear, did God really say? Satan will sow seeds of doubt into your heart until the weeds of unbelief choke out your faith. In our responsive reading this morning, we prayed against such warfare. Our responsive reading is a time not to just aimlessly and heartlessly repeat the words But our responsive reading is a time to teach you how to pray. When we come back and when we have a bulletin again, the responsive reading you can pick up and you can pray along that week. How do we pray? Deliver us, O Lord. Grant us your grace to do what you command. Notice uh, one of our uh, couplets that we had. It said, we began, we said, O Lord Jesus, great shepherd of our soul, grant your goodness to trust your provision and to seek your presence because we need you. But notice what we need Jesus from, what we need to be delivered from, from the need to be self-sufficient and from the fear of being weak. Deliver us, O Lord. I think our church is probably most susceptible to this because we want to be We want to be dependent. We don't need anybody. We don't want the government to help us. We don't want other people to help us. We want to be self-sufficient. But though that is a good quality in some areas, when we declare our self-sufficiency from our good shepherd, we are in great danger. When we fear being weak, when that drives us away from the strength of the good shepherd, we need to be delivered, to be delivered from such things. And we don't need just to say no to bad things, but we need to say yes to the goodness of Christ. Why do we need to be be delivered from self-sufficiency and the fear of being weakness? Because we must trust the Lord to provide everything we need for life and godliness. Not our uh, our own independence, not our own strength, not our own education, not our own creativity. We need Jesus. 
Because without Jesus, we have nothing. The disciples have shown us that. And we pray, Jesus, grant us the grace to desire what? Your goodness. So we shall not want. Satan will do anything to sow the seeds of unbelief into, the, into your heart, and we must fight against it. Why? Because without Jesus, we can do nothing. Like the disciples, learning this lesson is never an easy one. Falling miserably on your face really hurts. But often that's the most graceful thing that we can do. Because when we fall and fail, we look up to our Heavenly Father who has given us what we need and we need Jesus. Because unbelief will destroy us and it is dangerous. And we must remember that Christ's mercy and grace sustains all who believe, not ourselves, but Jesus. Knowing that unbelief is dangerous, but also in all of this, faith is necessary. Faith is necessary. Verse 20, and they brought the boy to him. And when the spirit saw him, immediately convulsed the boy and fell on the ground and rolled around foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked the father, how long has this been happening to him? And the father answered from childhood. At the heart of this passage is not demon possession. It's not a struggle with de demon possession. It's a struggle for faith. I wonder how many dead ends the father has already encountered that brought him to the point that he would come to, to say to Jesus, Jesus, the very one who has walked on water and still, stilled the swords, that's cast out demons, that has fed the 5,000, to say to Jesus, if you can do anything. His father's been so many dead ends and so many disappointed and so much I can't do anything. There's nothing more that I can do that he is hard, heartbroken, he is desperate, and he has almost lost all hope. Going to Jesus was a last-ditch effort to help his son, and truth be told, he really doesn't think that Jesus can do anything for him. He desperately wants someone to listen. He wants somebody to have compassion on his boy. He just wants somebody to help him. But the, man, the man's greatest threat at this point was not the, the demon who was, was destroying his son, but the man's greatest threat at this point was his lack of faith. Notice Jesus said in verse 23, and Jesus said to them, if you can. Now, I, I wish I could see, we could go back in the replay and be able to see the look on Jesus' face because we really can't, you can't read tone in the text. If you can, was he mad? Was he upset? I believe like a child who comes to their parents, to good loving parents and says, will you help me? And the parent says, of course I'll help. Of course I'll help you. All things are possible for the one who believes. Jesus is taken back and I believe his compassion overflows like he saw the crowds like a sheep without a shepherd. He looked upon them and had compassion. It's not a matter of Jesus in this situation having the ability to help because uh, he's already cast out the unclean spirit in the synagogue in chapter 1 and a legion of demons in chapter 5. Jesus has, has had, he's caught bigger fish, but now his compassion turns to this man's son and he has compassion. And it's not a question of Jesus' willingness to deliver the boy from his lifelong bondage. The question at the heart of this text is will the father believe and trust in Jesus? Or will he not? Ocean Park, the power of God's in our, in our God in our lives is not dependent on the amount of faith that we possess, large or small. 
Because the prosperity gospel will try to teach you that if you have, that your faith is the key that activates the power of God. That is a perversion. That is a lie. And that is leading people towards a false God. We have a, a, a good and a sovereign God, whether we have faith or not. A God who is in the heavens, who does as he pleases. God is not rendered in, um, impotent in, or empowered by the amount of faith we have or we don't have. As if faith were some kind of fuel or energy or cryptocurrency that we have to do to get God to move. Well, they don't have enough faith. They haven't hit level one. They haven't hit the silver letter level or the gold level or the platinum level of faith yet. So I can't, I'm powerless to do anything. The question is not the willingness of God, but the willingness of man to trust what, um, who Christ is and what he has done. What God is able to do through us and in us because of the work of Jesus. You could say this another, you could say this another way. All things are possible for the one who believes. Or you could say it like this. Little is possible for him who has no faith. Little or nothing is possible for him who has no faith. You see, unbelief, it's so dangerous because it refuses to trust in Christ. And what does it do? It walks away. Faith, even feeble, tiny, mustard seed faith, Trusts in an all-powerful, all-knowing, all-wise, all-good God and waits for him to act. Deal Moody really did a good job explaining the different types of faith. Our God is sovereign, he is good, he is powerful, he is wise, and that does not change. What changes is the faith in our hearts. There are some that have a struggling faith, uh, like a man in deep water desperately swimming and trying to stay afloat. There's a clinging faith, like a man that's hanging on the side of a boat, clinging for dear life. And then there's a resting faith, like a man sitting in the safety with a life jacket in the boat who is able to reach out to others and be able within his reach and pull them into the boats. All three, whether it be struggling, whether it be clinging, whether it be resting faith, are faith in a good and sovereign God. It's the one who stops swimming, who stops clinging, who stops resting in Christ who's in peril. For unbelief will quickly sink us to the bottom, never to rise again. When a lifeboat, when the strength of a good and sovereign Savior is within our reach, or probably better said, when we are within the reach of a good and sovereign God. Only faith reaches for Christ who is able to hold us fast. Ocean Park, the question that we have when we come to this is, will you trust King Jesus or will you walk away in unbelief? For only those who call out to Christ will experience his gracious hand that rescues sinners. One of the songs that we sing is, Come ye sinners, poor and needy, weak and wounded, sick and sore. Jesus ready stands to save you, full of pity, love and power. He is able, he is able, he is able, he is willing. Doubt no more. The fullness of divine mercy and grace is available to those who turn to Christ in the midst of, belief, of, of pain. We must believe and trust Christ by faith. Notice verse 24. Immediately, 
Immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe. Help my unbelief. Faith is not always easy. When the rain comes down and the floods come up, we begin to doubt, we begin to weaken, we begin to feel the burning in our legs, the the, uh, lack of oxygen in our lungs, the confusion and darkness around us. But Christ never does. The one who has faith knows how small and inadequate their faith is, but they don't put confidence in their faith They don't put confidence in their strength, in their ability, in their determination. They put their confidence, they put their faith in Jesus. And faith does not find Jesus wanting. It finds him, Jesus, strong and kind. Faith fixes its eyes on Jesus who shines light in the darkness who gives peace in the midst of chaos, who infuses strength in weakness. But brothers and sisters, we must fight for faith. Though it is often weak and trembling and doubting and feeble, we cry out to the one who is strong and firm and clear and courageous. Jesus stands ready and able to help us. We don't wait till our faith is great and perfect and mighty, but we exercise it in the midst of pain and resistance, knowing we are held in Christ's strong arms. And it's the continual time and repetition and resistance of faith that our spiritual muscles grow stronger and capable, and we move from struggling in the water to clinging to the boat to resting in the boat of Jesus Christ that brings us safely to the shore of our salvation. When I fear my faith will fail, we sang this morning, Christ will hold me fast. When the Trump tempter would prevail, Christ will hold me fast. I could never keep my hold through life's fearful path, for my love is often cold. He must hold me fast, for my Savior loves me so. He will hold me fast. Not only must we fight for faith, but we must fight against unbelief. We must resist it. We must pray against it. We must not allow it to become a barrier that keeps us away from Jesus. We must confess our unbelief, our struggles, our doubts to Jesus, and who is able to take all our all other sins and give us the strength when we cry out for deliverance. We can cry out to Jesus, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. We know that and we can do that in the midst of uh, hurricanes, in the midst of pandemics, in the midst of job loss, in the midst of rejection in job search. We can do that when our husband calls us and tells us he's been stabbed. When the doctor tells us our husband has a a very, very dire kidney disease or kidney condition. We can trust Jesus. Because Christ's mercy and grace sustains all who believe. Unbelief is dangerous and faith is necessary. But the hope of the gospel is this, that Christ is powerful. Verse 25, when Jesus saw the crowd come running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, you deaf, you mute and deaf spirit, I command you come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out. And the boy was like a corpse. So that most of the crowd said, he's dead. The power of Christ is able to restore what sin has destroyed. At the command of Jesus to leave this boy, the demon stages one final rebellion and beats the child to the point of death. The boy's lifeless body, near lifeless body, I should say, lies at the feet of Jesus. 
And in, and we, when we read this text, it's a sobering reminder of the destructive power of sin that comes to kill, steal, and destroys. Demons don't want a body. They want to destroy the image of God. The demon has been exercised, but at this point, what good is it? Because the boy is dead, or so they thought. And this is not what the the father had signed up for. This is not why he brought the boy to Jesus' disciples and then cried out for Jesus, Lord, I believe. Believing Jesus at this point has cost his son his life. Jesus' intervention actually made things worse. Because now his son's dead. At least before when the demon, he had a few good days amongst the many bad days, when the demon was, was in him, he was alive. Trusting Jesus, the father thinks that has cost his son his life. Brothers and sisters, trusting Jesus is not a magic pill that we instantaneously take that makes all of things right and reverses all wrong and restores us to everything we want. Jesus doesn't wave a magic wand and heal broken relationships, undo bad choices in men's broken lives. Despite, again, the promises of the prosperity preachers who are peddling a false Jesus for their own profit, it's not the gospel. And let me warn you, some of you who don't know Jesus, and are been watching and listening and reading yourself. Sometimes following Jesus will make your life worse at the outset. I immediately thought back to Genesis chapter 4, verse 7. If you do well, God was speaking to Cain, if you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at your door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. Satan and his henchmen do not sit idly back and relinquish souls to Jesus. He doesn't celebrate those who have renounced their citizenship in the kingdom of darkness and have declared, I have decided to follow Jesus. He declares war on anyone who says they are faithful to King Jesus, who leave beside the city of destruction like Pilgrim in, in, um, in Pilgrim's Progress or Christian in Pilgrim's Progress, and they leave every flame and force and power of heaven, I mean, of hell, is now turned against those who follow Jesus. Often the first test of those who follow Jesus is to trust Jesus' word and his promises alone despite the immediate consequences of following Jesus. When friends betray you, when people mock you, when trouble persists, when new trouble arises, when false expectations um, are dissipated in the reality of following Jesus. Following Jesus requires faith. The hour you first believe and every hour thereafter. Notice verse 27, Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. Now the language is unmistakably resurrection language. Again, the boy is not dead, but he is being risen up. Just as Jesus took the hand of Jairus' little girl in Mark 5, when she was dead and raised her up, he takes the nearly lifeless body of this boy who was once demon-possessed and he raises him up to new life. Jesus' resurrection power, he, uh, Jesus possesses resurrection power and he gives it to all who come to him by faith. Ocean Park, the restoration of this little boy from the bondage of sin and death to newness of life foreshadows the coming resurrection. 
and the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ and all who have died with Christ and have been resurrected, been raised with him. The mercy and grace of our victorious, triumphing God is now given and uh, lavishly to all who are united to him by faith. His mercy and grace is new every morning because Jesus is the resurrection and the life. He is the resurrection and the life. And whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. The question remains, Ocean Park, for those of you listening. Do you believe? Will you trust Jesus who pay, whose death paid the penalty for your sin and whose righteous, righteousness brings you into right relationship with the Father where you can have eternal life forever because of Christ? The hymn writer put it this way. He says, let not conscience let you linger. I'm not worthy. Nor of fitness fondly dream. All the fitness he requireth is to feel your need of him. Jesus doesn't say, you need to get it together. Stop being stupid. Stop being faith, faithless. Get it together and then I'll take your application to follow me. He says, you need to know your need and your helplessness and your brokenness. You need to say like the disciples, where else can I go? In you, you have life. You are the exclusive resurrection and the life. And the hymn writer said, this he gives you. He gives you his grace. He gives you his mercy that each day you can become more like Jesus by the power of the spirit who's working in you and through you. This he gives you, tis the spirit's glimmering beam. Each day we must say by faith in the powerful person and work of Jesus, Lord I believe. Help my unbelief. The recognition that we are weak like the song, Jesus loves me. I am weak and he is strong is the grace of God that prevents you from the unbelief of self-sufficiency. For as the disciples demonstrated over and over and over again, self-sufficiency renders us impotent and ashamed. How many times do we have to trust ourselves and trust our word and we wander off? Verse 28, when we had entered the house, the disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? And Jesus said to them, this kind can only be driven out by anything but prayer. The disciples, the nine of them, Peter, James, and John, not, weren't guilty this time because they were fortunately with Jesus, but there were plenty of times that they are found wanting. The disciples were too busy arguing among themselves and with the opponents to pray. They were too busy patting themselves on the back for the victories of the mighty works and mighty deeds that they'd been commissioned to, to cast out demons and to heal sickness. They were too busy relying on themselves to rely on Jesus. And in this text, they were humbled. They were shamed into the arms of Jesus, into the grace of our God. Jesus explained that these types of demons required prayer to be driven out. And what type of prayer? Prayer with secret words and esoteric knowledge? No. Prayer set uttered with passion and authority and power and maybe a 20? No. Prayers that are offered from a blessed life and infused with, with powerful faith? No. The prayer that casts out demons like this is the prayer that says, Lord, I am not able to do such a thing, but I know that you are able to deliver this poor soul. The disciples were too busy feeling proud of themselves and building their own kingdom to be able to turn to Jesus and say, Lord, I need you. I cannot do this on my own. And because of it, they failed miserably. 
Ocean Park prayer unleashes incredible power, but prayer is not the source of power. Prayer leads us, it is the, the, the path that leads us to the source of Almighty God, to the throne room of heaven, because it directs our focus on the one who is powerful. King Jesus, who reigns over heaven and earth. When we lift our eyes up in self-righteousness and self-serving pride, we will inevitably fall short and be ashamed. When we lift up our prayers to the maker of heaven and earth, where our help comes from, who is able to accomplish great things despite ourselves and in us and through us, we will be amazed what God is able to do far more than we could ask or even imagine. And it is only the grace and mercy of Jesus who is able to accomplish such things and be in our hearts. Only Jesus can bring his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven using his feeble disciples, you and me. So I ask you today, do you believe in Jesus? Do you trust his power to save you from the bondage of sin and death? Do you struggle with doubt and fear? Confess it and resist it with the full arsenal of weapons that you have been given by Jesus himself and infused by the power of the Holy Spirit to resist Satan and his attacks, his whispers in your ear. We look to our Jesus. And are you going to Jesus in prayer? A lot of people will say, yes, I believe in Jesus. Yes, I struggle with doubt and fear. And the question is, you're praying. Are you going to Facebook? Are you going to your friends? Are you turning to other means? Are you Netflixing and chill? When you're overwhelmed and overworked, when you're stretched thin and you're thin on faith, do you go to Jesus in prayer to deliver you from what oppresses you? Because Jesus is our only hope in life and death. And his mercy and grace sustains all who believe. Sustains us because unbelief is dangerous. Faith is necessary. And Christ is powerful. May we find Christ's mercy and grace that sustains us in times of need. And that we would cry out and say, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Shall we pray? Gracious and heavenly Father, we come to you and we confess how much we need you. We confess that time and time and time again, we trust ourselves. We wage our own personal wars for our own fleeting, feeble kingdom. We turn to everything but to you for answers. Father, we thank you for your grace that draws us in, that knocks us down, And then picks us up and carries us into your sheepfold where we can say, the Lord is my shepherd. And because of that, I shall not want. His goodness gives me what I need when I need it and the amount that I need. In Christ's precious and holy name we pray. Amen.